Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Welcome to the Theological Family Ministry podcast today. We're excited to have a special guest. We're sort of having the parade of nations here lately. Uh, we had Peter Witkowski uh, recently, and now we've got Brian Dembovich. Is that Polish, Brian? It is. Okay, and so my last name is Polish as well, so we need to try to, I don't know, we need some Latin or, you know, I don't know, Japanese people or something on so uh, you know some of the international listeners who contact us we want to get you on but um, but we are excited to have Brian today with us he's the managing editor of the Gospel Project family of curriculum through Lifeway and before that he was the team leader for uh, Gospel Project for Kids and he was in local church ministry for 17 years before that so he's he's been um, a practitioner as well he, he understands the what, what it's like in a local church uh, he's married to Tara and they have three kids and he's also the author of a number of books um, one of which is the gospel is gospel centered kids ministry and then I saw one just on the shelf recently called Cornerstones Brian welcome to the podcast well, thank you, guys. I appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you guys. Yeah, thank you for coming on. We really, really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, we're looking forward to a good conversation about uh, keeping the gospel at the center of, of our ministry to youth, to children, to families, uh, and just how important it is. It's not just sort of a fad thing, but that that is um, so, so vital. So, Tony, why don't you get us started off? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, first of all, I again do want to thank you, and you know, and to give some context to this uh, discussion, the I actually first met Brian at uh, Baptist Convention in Maryland, Delaware, uh, Children's Ministry Conference, uh, and uh, he was kind of the keynote speaker, and and it was really amazing. I just see his passion for gospel centrality and children and youth and family ministry as well, and I think it's a it's a rarity, and it's a really important uh, work that uh, you do. So, you know, and I think a lot of ways we've spoken well of on this podcast of Jack Klumperhauer's show oh, yeah. Jesus. And I think a lot of what he does is so very similar to show yeah. Jesus and the mentality. So now yeah, that, that's a great book by Jack. Incredible resource. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we'll have to get him on sometime then. <laughs> yeah, I gotta make the call. <laughs> exactly. So and pick him up with a van or something if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, Brian, if you could tell us a little bit about your current ministry right now. Yeah, um, as as uh, Ben was sharing at the intro thing, I, I am the managing editor of the Gospel Project. So we are a uh, Bible study resource provided by Lifeway Christian Resources, <laughs> and uh, we serve about a little bit over a million people each week, which is really exciting. Wow! Um, this fall, we're starting our, our third three year cycle, and uh, we are hoping and praying that we can reach up to maybe about one point five, one point six million people. And uh, you know, it's. I take that for granted so often. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and he called me. We haven't talked for a long time. And he said, man, it's exciting to see what you're doing. How does it feel to be part of that? I said, you know, I just take it for granted. Come in the <laughs> office, and it's, it's just my job. But every once in a while, when I take a step back, I can just see God's kindness in what he's doing through the Gospel Project and to allow me to be some part of it, some small part of it. It's just really sometimes I, I just – 
have to take and sit back in awe of, of God's kindness to that. So it's exciting to be part of this. It's exciting to see God use this resource and, and, and advance his kingdom. Here's God. Amen. Yeah, I was talking to our student pastor here the other day and mentioned that we were going to be talking to you. And I said, you know, that, that's they have over a million people who are, you know, exposed to this. That, that's a big responsibility. That's a far reach. And so I'm thankful the Lord has given it to you guys. Um, so, Brian, did you grow up with a, a gospel-centered outlook on the Bible? I did not. I, I grew up—my uh, story is very typical, which is part of why I'm so passionate about this, because it's way too typical. Um, I grew up in churches that honored God's Word. These were Bible-believing churches, um, good pastors, good teachers who cared deeply about Christ, who cared deeply about me, um, taught the Scripture faithfully. These were not liberal, theologically liberal churches. These were conservative churches believing in the inerrancy of Scripture. And But the problem was I learned <laughs> all these stories and just learned the facts of the stories. And I was told the gospel, but I was usually told the gospel at Easter and vacation Bible school and special events like that. It was not uh, the center of everything we were talking about. So like many kids, like many adults today, I compartmentalized and I thought the gospel was simply what you had to know to become a believer and then you were done with it. And then the rest is just being a good person, you know, following God's rules so he's not upset at you. Um, and I thought that's what it was about. So that's why I almost left the church in college. Um, it's, it's amazing. I was, we, we did youth Sundays back in that day in the churches I grew up in where the youth kind of take over the mm-hmm. worship service. And I was the pastor for youth Sunday two years in a row, which was, you know, unheard of. Usually it was the senior rotating off or whatever. And so I was the, I was the kid that grandmas would, I think this literally happened. They would come up and pinch my cheek and say, I wish my granddaughter <laughs> knew you and that kind of stuff. So I was like the poster boy. And yet my freshman year of college, I went to church zero times. Uh, Not because I was angry at God, not because I didn't believe in God. I just didn't see a need because I didn't understand the gospel. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's sad that that is so much a reality in so many of our churches today. So, Brian, why is it so important to connect all of our teaching in the church to the gospel, not just at Easter and Christmas? Yeah, you know, I I think— the, the big reason, the, the no kidding reason is, is because this is the model that Jesus established for us. Um, you know, John 5 is so important to understand this. This is where Jesus is talking to the, the Jews, and he said, hey, you guys search the Scripture um, because you think in them you have life, but you don't. You're missing it because all the Scriptures testify about me. And that is so important that we understand that Jesus is saying there that we can know God's Word— and yet miss out on eternal life. And that, you know, that's similar to my story growing up, as, as I just shared, that I knew the Bible, I knew Scripture, but I, I really was not resting in the gospel. Um, and so we want to make sure that we follow Jesus' model for understanding Scripture, that he also fleshes out more in detail, of course, in Luke 24, the Emmaus disciples, where you know, he shows them how all the Scripture was one story pointing to him. So... You know, to me, being gospel-centered is being correct. It's, it's, it's understanding Scripture the way God intended for us to understand it, and also that carries over to understanding life. So all of faith, all of life is really rooted in the gospel. So I really believe that when we stray from that, 
we are not only misunderstanding the Bible, we're not understanding life properly, and, and we fall into the trap of moralism. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what better authority than to say, well, Jesus, the one who his own spirit inspired the book, um, this is the approach he took. So I think we're good if we take it as well. Exactly. That's what I tell people. If this is Jesus's interpretive key, I think we're in good, you know, a good place to follow suit. Right, right. Um, so, Brian, is it enough to teach kids just how God wants them to treat others? I mean, because we are made his image. We're supposed to put him on display. Is that enough? Yeah, you know what? It It's not. Now, let me say this very carefully. We need to talk with kids about how to treat others. Um you know, we need to tell kids they need to be kind and share and be generous. And that's very important. However, um, we need to make sure we anchor all of those what they're supposed to do and why. And that why has got to be the gospel. This is what I think as parents and as as kids ministry leaders, we can't miss this um, because, I, again, I'm going to bang this drum over and over again, but if we teach what without why, we are really setting our kids up for moralism, believing that they have to live good enough to please God and receive his love instead of understanding the gospel, which says that in Christ, they are given God's love completely. They are completely accepted in Christ, and they don't have to earn that. Um, We obey from God's acceptance, not for God's acceptance. So is it enough just to teach kids how to treat others? No. Can, should we not teach kids how to treat others? No, as well. We need to teach them how to treat others, but we have to do that through the beautiful pathway of the gospel. Mm. That's, that's really well said. That, that's good. So, Brian, how is the contemporary church uh, doing in this respect now? You know, I, I, I'm excited because uh, I believe that the church is doing better. Um, I, I'm sure you guys are aware that we see this this gospel centrality movement. Um, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why the Gospel Project is doing so well. It's um, it's not because we, we came out with something new and exciting. It's because we are returning to what I would argue is the, the proper way to understand Scripture and life. And I think there's been this hunger for this. And uh, so it's it's exciting to see this this movement, um, this uptick in in gospel centrality and, and gospel understanding. Um, my concern, though, is that we always have to be careful. If I, as I look back through church history, as I look back through my experience, uh, I'm 45, so growing up in the church and being in a church and, and ministry and so forth, the church tends to overreact. Um, we swing the pendulum. <laughs> way far the opposite direction that we want to get away from. We see this over and over again. We just don't like balance for some reason. It's a human problem. It it is a human problem. It's a sin problem because the church still has sinful people in it. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the thing I see already is a lot of gospel-centered churches are responding and reacting to more traditional churches that were not gospel-centered. And part of the thing that they're doing is they're rejecting programs Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're saying, look, we don't want to be programmed because we don't want to even smell like a traditional church. <laughs> and so they have basically gone very light in their their programming. Now, I think there's wisdom. I think a lot of churches are overly programmed. Mm-hmm. But my heart is I see a lot of gospel-centered churches that I would argue are under-programmed. There's nothing wrong with programs. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything you do, Sunday morning worship is a program when you get down to it. Um, there's a plan, there's an, organi- or an organized approach, it's a program. 
the point is, are you depending on that program or are you depending on the gospel? And is that program just a vehicle to advance the gospel? So as kids leaders, especially, we know how important it is to balance this. We want to be pouring the gospel into the kids' hearts, but we also see the need to have programmatic program themes and, and elements. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the one thing I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned about, that as I see the church moving forward, I'm not a prophet. I didn't sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I look at the church, the gospel center movement, that's one stumbling block I can see that we have to be careful of. Yeah, it's good insight. I think, I think that's a really great assessment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the sad reality, too, is that as much as there has been progress in the way that, you know, I've even read that you guys' uh, curriculum is one of the fastest growing kids' curriculums yep. ever ever to come out. So it's just really inc- incredible and unbelievable. But, you know, it's still very possible to grow up as you did, you know, just kind of more of that more or less like therapeutic deist than really having that a rich understanding of the gospel. I mean, I a couple of years ago, uh, we did VBS at our church, and uh, in our VBS – we kind of ask the question of kids come for the front and kind of articulate the gospel, explain the the idea of salvation and and why Jesus is is most important. And almost every kid that came up, and it was when we just started doing it, and kids from a lot of different churches would say it was something about being a good good person, like David was a good person, or even like Jesus was a good person. And these were kids often that were baptized in their churches, you know, and were already already little young members of their churches. And so I think the problem still persists, but it's certainly wonderful to see the progress that has been made. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I agree. Amen. Now to apply uh, somewhat to youth, as we have some listeners who are discipling youth as well as parenting sure. their own youth, uh, shouldn't youth ministry, shouldn't teaching to youth focus more on things like purity and staying clean? Yeah, I, I think it's a similar uh, discussion as as teaching kids, you know, what is right, you know, sharing and so forth. Well, it just ch- kind of changes the context. You hope a teenager would understand the need to share, although many of them don't do it well still. Many of us adults don't do it well. Um, but, you know, when you think of, of issues that teens are struggling with, and I, my oldest son is now a teenager, he's 13, um, purity and staying clean is so important. So we have to, we have to address that. We have to help yeah. them see how, how God um, cares about these things and, and why they matter. But again, the problem is we can't look at those in isolation from the gospel. No. If we just go before our teenager and say, Hey, God, God wants you to be pure. Um, he, he wants <coughs> you to remain pure and stay clean in what you look at and what you're doing with your girlfriend, or your boyfriend. Well, that's true. Um, and we can even talk about, you know, positive aspects of it that has been done before. Hey, you know, look at STDs and so forth, unwanted pregnancy. Look at all these problems that if you disobey. But what are we giving? What are we putting into the hearts? What are we implanting into the hearts of our students? That they have to do something so that God doesn't get upset at them. Mm-hmm. Now, we always have to remember this. Kids and teenagers especially they're used to that context. When they go yeah. to school, they obey so they don't get in trouble. Yeah. They obey parents a lot of times so they don't get in trouble. That's not the heart posture we want from our kids and teenagers. We want a heart posture that says, I want to obey because I respect and love my parents yeah. because I respect my teacher and ultimately because I respect and love God and recognize he's good. So when it comes to purity, for example, I think we need to get to the gospel once again, and explain God's the gospel. How the how does the gospel relate to that? 
um, what are we seeing here about us being holy before God because he is holy and he sacrificed himself for us. He, he put aside his desires so that he would walk on earth and take on the flesh and die for us. So when I keep that central in my mind and heart, it's easier for me to understand, okay, well then me staying pure, me staying holy physically is one way I can express my love and appreciation for what, for the greater good God has done for me. And as we know, all God's commands are for his glory and our good. So I think we give the weightiness yeah. of these issues when we connect them to the gospel and we, we set our kids up to, we set our students up to succeed in that area instead of failing. That's good. Yeah, I think uh, I've I've been studying some of the Gospel Project recently, you know, and some of the teachings that my kids have been getting through the Gospel Project children stuff. And I think there is such a great example of that kind of gospel first leads to leads to true moral change, growth in yeah. Christian morality. And I especially think of um, you guys did a lesson uh, recently on on generosity from I believe it was from Acts. Uh, the uh, and you know telling uh, the story of the church's generosity towards one another, and it wasn't just give because you know God wants you to give, but instead it which uh, rooted deeply in the mercy of God and the gift that God has given us that far transcends anything that we could ever give to anyone else, and I think that that produces real change. And even my own young kids were excited to give because of uh, seeing the great gift that they were given. Yeah. And when we root it in the heart, I mean, this is this is the outline we see in, in Paul's letters, especially. I mean, think about the book of Romans. You have mm-hmm. 11 chapters of theology, of truth, of gospel. And then in chapter 12, you got that hinge that he says, 12 through 16, here's how you live in light of the gospel. So the model that Paul puts before us, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is gospel drives lifestyle. Amen. Gospel drives change. Gospel drives, be- drives behavior. It's that order that we always have to keep in mind. So as parents, as kids Amen. leaders, as student leaders, everything we're doing, every time we apply, we got to make sure that we filtered it through this gospel lens. Yeah, that's, yeah, it, it is. It's grounded in the actual text of Scripture. Um, I think it's kind of like you, Brian. I wasn't always taught that um, early on, and then came to see it later. Uh, but I just started teaching a, a class on Ephesians last. Or on Sunday, and looking at that pattern, it's condensed. But the first three chapters, it's yeah. what he's done, and then now, therefore, go live this way. Um, well, you know, when we're looking at the old t- or looking at the New Testament, you look at Paul's letters, you, John, or you look at the Gospels themselves, and you hear what Jesus is doing. It's it's a little easier to connect things to him. But how about when we we teach the Old Testament? I mean, his name doesn't appear, so some people think, well, that you know, it's a stretch. Um, I mean, how would you address that? Yeah, and and I think that's a valid concern. As we, with the Gospel Project, as we continue to to grow this resource, uh, what we find is we're getting what we would say out of our tribe. So there's the tribe of of gospel-centered churches that we've talked about that when we released the Gospel Project, they just latched onto it and said, yeah, because we understand the DNA. But then there's a bunch of churches, especially with the kids, Gospel Project for Kids, who are just hearing about it. Uh, They like the chronological approach, for example. And so they try it, but they're not really gospel-centered. And so this is new for them, like it was new for me and and Mm -hmm. you guys, I'm sure, at some point. And the concern is that because you're not used to studying Scripture that way, especially the Old Testament, it feels like you're playing fast and loose with Scripture at times. It feels like, wait a minute, you're trying to find Jesus under every rock. And 
for those churches that are a little bit more grounded, they they understand this idea of allegory, <clears throat> which of course allegory you find these hidden meanings in text. The basic meaning doesn't matter. It's the hidden meanings. And so allegory is really where you, you look at the story of David and Goliath, for example, and you say, what what do the rocks represent? What did the sling represent? What did, you know, everything. That's allegory. We know that's not proper. And so a lot of people, when they're new to the gospel project, when they're new to the gospel-centered study of God's word, especially in the Old Testament, feel that tension, which I appreciate. I'm glad they feel that because they're trying to honor scripture. So with all that said, um, I would suggest that there are four basic ways that we properly see Jesus in the Old Testament. And so as we're studying the Old Testament, we want to make sure that we're running it through this matrix, which of this passage I'm looking at, which one does this primarily fall into? And here are those four. The first one is Messianic prophecy. Mm -hmm. This is the layup. This is where I think most of us would say, okay, yeah, we understand that one. This is where the Old Testament clearly has a prophecy. The virgin birth, for example, in Isaiah. Clearly, we know this is pointing to Jesus. We clearly easily teach Jesus from those prophecies. And the beautiful thing about Messianic prophecy is they're fulfilled in the New Testament. So we can go Isaiah, turn to Matthew, for example, and say, here it is. Here's the fulfillment. So that's the layup. That's if you think of concentric circles, that's the bull, the bullseye, so to speak. The next layer out is um, what I would say is called typology, which is a, a fancy church word mm -hmm. that's kind of odd, but it's the proper use of the term. Typology, and I would I would just say imagery, imagery and types of Jesus. Now, typology is very specific. Typology, um, Paul actually mentions types. That's where we get the word from. I believe it's in Galatians, um, and it's it's an, a person an event or an object in the Old Testament that points to Jesus, the greater reality, mm -hmm. also called the anti-type. So, for example, the rock that Moses— <laughs> that rock we know from Scripture is a type of Jesus because Paul tells us that. So it's mm -hmm. this, this picture down to a literal rock. Again, we believe in the literal nature of Scripture. So Moses was a literal man who literally struck a rock. Um, but there in God's beauty, he adds additional layers of meaning and depth into these Old Testament passages. So there's the, this this type of Jesus is pointing to a greater truth. Well, I would add to that this idea of images where you see a lot of ideas in the Old Testament that bear out pointing toward Jesus. So, for example, let me give you a couple examples. Um, Noah and the ark. Noah was one man who was saved by grace, and because of his, his uh, obedience and his uh, trust in God and God's act of grace, he saved himself and his family and preserved mankind. So one man was saved through God's judgment because of grace, pointing toward what Jesus would do for us. So again, what we're doing is we're seeing these bigger idea truths, these these images in the Old Testament and how they bear out in the New Testament. Um, Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac. This is a, a clear picture of the gospel truth that a father called to sacrifice his son. His son was a willing sacrifice. Um, and then at the last minute, God provided us for Isaac. And so we see this, this idea of the gospel here that the willing father— gives his son as a sacrifice, as a substitute for others. We see ideas of the gospel permeating and saturating. Um, 
that's where the gospel project curriculum camps out mostly. That's that we spend a lot of time in that category. The third category would be redemptive history. There are some passages that simply advance history. Genealogies are a good example of this. Uh, Genesis 3.15 is where God says, I'm going to send somebody to crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 12, he reaffirms that to Abraham, I'm forming a people through you, and through you would be one One will come that will uh, will bring blessing to the world. We know this is pointing to Jesus, and so we see genealogies advancing this narrative. So sometimes we're looking at Old Testament passage, and that's what we're seeing, how uh, Ruth, for example, the, the, the book of Ruth is, is a good example of this, how redemptive history is unfolding. And then the fourth category will be gospel truths. Uh, there are times we look at a passage, and it's not a messianic prophecy. It's not nece- necessarily a type or an image of Christ there. It's not even necessarily redemptive history, but we're learning something about the gospel. So, for example, Cain and Abel. I believe the story of Cain and Abel is so critical because it, it affirms how sinful and wretched we are. You go from one generation of perfection, Adam and Eve, to their kids, one brother killing his brother, murdering him. I mean, how vile so quickly. That that story should shock us. And God's intention is for us to see, wait, that's my heart. Cain is not this monster that I'm not. He's a monster and I'm a monster too. Because sin has done that to me. In left to my own devices, I would be just like Cain, if not worse. And so we're learning something about ourselves and our need for a Savior. So a lot of Old Testament passages, we see how wretched people are. We see how glorious God is. We see this tension and this need for a Savior, a deliverer. We cry out for a rescuer. So I think as we're studying the Old Testament, if you just keep those four categories in mind and not force text into one of the different categories that it is not naturally in, I think we'll be safe. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, very meaty answer. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and this is really connected to the previous answer. Uh, but, you know, isn't this forcing Jesus into the text sometimes? I mean, think of, you know, Daniel and the lion's den. Isn't it just more natural and easy, easier to tell us a story of how God wants us to be brave? Yeah, you know, and again, it is forcing Jesus into the text if we choose the wrong category, if we allegorize, or if we if we try to find an image of Christ that's not there. You know, um, however, again, going back to to Luke twenty four and John five, Jesus has given us the interpretive key that all Scripture bears witness to Him. So we are not dishonoring Scripture when we get to Jesus naturally every session. We're dishonoring when we fail to do that. When we say Daniel is about being brave or my favorite David and Goliath is about being brave and uh-huh. facing your giant. Um, no, that, that is not. Now that's, that's a true application. Uh, there's nothing wrong with applying bravery. Um, yeah, I would want to root that bravery in what Christ has done for us and his power, not my own still. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. We need to, we need to ground our teaching in practical application, which that's another concern in the gospel-centered church. We may not do that enough. We may stay too lofty mm-hmm. and stay too conceptual, look at how beautiful the gospel is, and I like to live yeah. there, but we got to land the plane, uh, that's good. and, and we've got to make sure our, our kids have practical, what does that look like, or what might that look like in my life? So, yeah, we're not forcing Jesus into Daniel in the lion's den by talking about, man, Here's an example of, of Daniel and, and him taking the stand at risk of his life to be faithful to God. Who else do we know that did that? 
Jesus did that. He He's the one who stood silent before his accusers when he was perfectly righteous, and he laid down his life for us. Going back to that greater reality, that more beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. I don't want my kids following Daniel. I don't want my kids following Jesus. <laughs> that's so <good>. that's <laughs> what we just always have to remember. Who do we want our kids following? Amen. That's well said, yeah. Uh, so, so you're saying that the Jesus account of feeding the five thousand is not about why we should share with others? No, that's and again, you that you can apply that at at some point down the road. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe very low level, idea. but um, yeah. So, Brian, how does keeping the gospel the center? How does it change how we talk about this life education? And you've hit on this, but just, I mean, just kind of mm, a, yeah. briefly. Yeah, let me just let me give you a, a very basic formula because we have hit on this, but just for clarity, because this is so important. I, I would say that we want to get in the rhythm of of thinking this way and maybe even speaking this way as we're if, if you're a parent, if you're a kids leader, or a student leader, any of those contexts. Here's here's the rhythm I would argue that we should fight for because of what Jesus has done. I want to do X, Y, Z. Now, let me let me camp out on a couple of of key parts of that. The first part, of course, that first clause, because of what Christ has done, that's where we're embedding it in the gospel. So because David and Mephibosheth is one of my favorite stories to teach on this these days, Mm -hmm. um, David and Mephibosheth in my Bible, it's the chapter is even titled David's kindness to Mephibosheth. And so this is the story where David, he he looked (coughs) one of Jonathan's sons to be kind to Jonathan is Ed and he had made a promise, David had made a promise to Jonathan. So he finds Mephibosheth and he gives Mephibosheth Saul's estate and gives him servants and, and, and invites Mephibosheth to eat at his table. And so in that story, it's so easy to look at it and say, hey, this is a story about us being kind, that we should be kind to others. And we can teach that moral application. You can teach that entire chapter, that entire story without even mentioning the name of Jesus, which means we've taught it wrong. So here's the thing. When we teach David and Mephibosheth, for example, kindness is, is, a, is as we've said, that's, that's a, a, a right application. But what we need to do is say, because of what Christ has done for us, because of God's kindness to us, Ephesians 2 says it was God's kindness of giving us Christ and salvation. Because of God's greater kindness to us, because of what we've received in Christ, that's, that's the foundation. That's my motivator. Not to be a better person, not to to have, you know, for God to be pleased in me. My motivation is what Christ has accomplished, the fulfilled work of Christ. Because of what he has done, I want, and that's a critical part, I want to do X, Y, Z. Not I have to do, not even I should do. It's true. We we should yeah. do these things. It's imperative. But what we want is a kid's heart, a student's heart, a posture that says, God is amazing. He has been so good to me. I want to live in a way that brings him honor and glory and praise. I want to live rightly the new identity he's given me in Christ. It's my desire to do that. Do I have to do it? Yes, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When we want to do something, it doesn't matter if we have to do it or not. You know, when you're when you're in a swimming pool and, and you're pulled under and you want to breathe, you don't have to think in your mind, well, really, I need to breathe right now. I have to breathe or else I'll die. No, you want to breathe and you do anything you can to get to the surface and, yeah. and draw in that breath of air. That's what I want for my kids. Amen. I want them having a heart for God such that 
God's commands are light, not heavy burdens. Amen. That's good. That's very good. Now, what are some special challenges that keeping gospel-centered, working with kids? You know, I know you kind of have an impact on a variety of levels of the gospel project, but what are some special challenges you see in that with kids? Yeah, I, I think uh, there are two or three special challenges that I would just want to draw our attention to. The first one is is when we think about preschoolers and kids who have not received Christ yet. Um you know, because and, and we struggle with this in the Gospel Project curriculum, the, the kids and preschool curriculum. We write it as if the kid has already trusted in Christ. You just as a curriculum provider, you, you just can't you can't write curriculum in a way that covers all those bases. It just becomes clumsy. Um, hey, say this if your kids are not believers, say this if they are believers. Mm-hmm. So you just have to choose one of the paths and just assume they all are unbelievers or they all are believers. We we chose to assume they all are believers and let leaders tweak and massage. With that said, it it is a little bit challenging because as we've been talking about, you know, as I just said, we want the motivation for obedience being what Christ has done, but a preschooler or a kid who is not trusted in Christ, that's not their reality yet. They are not regenerate. They are not in Christ. And so there we just got to be sure that we, especially one-on-one, especially with parents or group leaders, just want to make sure they work this in to their rhythm of teaching every once in a while, that they clarify that it's for those who have trusted in Christ, this is true. And make sure that we're not letting preschoolers or kids who have not trusted in Christ or even teenagers who have not trusted in Christ, not confusing them, thinking that they're good with God because they think that they go to church and therefore they are, you know, when we talk about um, God, what God has done for you, that they don't assume that includes them without having trusted in Christ themselves. So that's one thing that we need to be aware of. Another thing is for kids that when we talk about the gospel, it's much more conceptual. That's what we've done a lot to, I mean, talk about typology, come on. Um, that, that's conceptual. Um, and, and there's a lot of imagery. When you look at David and Goliath, for example, it's so much easier to say, hey, be brave. It's clearer. A kid can understand it easier. Mm-hmm. But when you have to go to an extra step to say, let's look for Jesus in here. Let's look for the gospel. You're going into a conceptual realm, which are harder mm-hmm. for concrete thinking kids. Mm-hmm. So we just have to remember that I don't think it's a barrier. I think, you know, kids, especially through the inspiration or the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, rather, kids can understand gospel centrality so but it's it's a challenge uh, especially for, yeah. for younger kids uh, and the third thing i would say to be uh, just be careful about is that this is a long-term process um, as adults as parents we tend to want to see immediate change we want to see immediate fruit um, you want that kid to obey immediately oh, yeah. told you to this start once. stop doing whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i told you this once come on what's wrong with you but we know that gospel transformation takes time. It takes time in our lives as adults, that God is, is constantly working and breaking the sinfulness of, of our minds and our hearts, um, the stubbornness that we have. We want God to be patient with us. We need to be patient with our kids and not, not latch on to immediate fruit and say, I need to see change. I need to see right now. Uh, we need to be content to say, let's let these seeds take time to be implanted in their heart and germinate and, and produce the fruit that God's going to produce. Yeah. 
I think that is so good. And I think it speaks so much to, I think, our kind of experimental society. And even in the church, you know, we we so much of a drive for getting kids to make the tally mark decision a certain day, you know, even not just yeah. in a moral life, you know, but and we, we look down upon stories where a kid doesn't, you know, a child becomes an adult and is a strong follower of Jesus, but can't set a specific time where they first that raise their hand or, or whatnot. But instead, we're so exposed to the gospel at a young age that, you know, it saturated them. And it just, I mean, it just kept beating at their heart until it broke down. And that way, and you know, I think there's a beauty in that, and that's why I love about gospel projects. I feel, yeah, probably the gospel project you're not going to have a ton of kids that that decide that uh, after 35 weeks of hearing no gospel, they hear one week of gospel and turn their lives around. Yeah. Instead, you're going to, you know, have those cases where you know the gospel just wore them down. You know. Yep, yeah. it's possible for that one week, but. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't undermine that, but at the same time, why yeah. not give it to them regularly and just see it as the, the shape of how of the Christian life? Um, so, Brian, what steps can youth ministries take to head in that direction? Because it, it does change a bit as they, they, they're less concrete. They can understand more conceptual things. Um, the, the, the dangers towards sin are, I guess, bigger impact, uh, things like that. So just address that, if you would. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a great question, and my heart would be that that's a question that right now some people listening are resonating with because they're recognizing, you know what, either I have not been gospel-centered or maybe I've not been gospel-centered enough. Um, so let me let me suggest this. First of all, for student ministries especially, I, I'm a big advocate on respecting kids and teenagers. Um, I really believe that that we tend to look down on them too much, and that's that's a problem. I think we need to give them more respect, and I think— it's, it's the gospel anyway, that, that we need to be transparent, we need to be genuine. And so I would, I would encourage a student leader or youth leader or even a kid's leader, especially with older kids who may be listening right now saying, yeah, I, I need to make a course correction. Share that with your kids. I mean, don't, what would be wrong about going, you know, your next Wednesday night meeting and say, hey guys, I just want to talk with you about something God's doing in my heart, some things that I'm learning I'm continuing to learn and grow just like you are. And this is an area God is shaping me. And, and I believe that, that I need to serve you better. We need to serve <laughs> you better by making this course correction. I think that's beautiful. I think that's honoring the students. It's being transparent with them. It's elevating the gospel. And so instead of doing it kind of on the side and having students say, Hey, things are changing. What's going on? you be proactive and, and, and and, and share that. There's no shame in it. It's beautiful that God is doing that. So with that said, um, getting a little bit more into the practical, what can you do? Well, I, I would say there are a couple of different lenses. One, this is the natural one, consider what you're teaching, as we've kind of hit on. Um, as, you're, as you're teaching, um, whether it be through Bible study curriculum or midweek uh, lessons or whatever, what are you teaching and what are you driving your students to? Are you, are you mentioning the gospel in Jesus every single time you teach? And if not, then that would be something to examine. I would say that every single time you teach, you've got to address the gospel in Jesus. Um, so are you, what are you teaching? How are you teaching it? Are you driving toward this transformation that we've been talking about? Or are you looking for behavior modification? Think about your applications at the end. Are you just tacking on behavior modifications? Don't do this, do this. 
or are you camping out in the beauty, beauty of God changing us through the gospel? And are you, in light of that, are you reminding your believing students that they're on mission for Christ, that they're part of the story? That's the beautiful thing. The scripture is one story, uh, starting in Genesis, going all the way through Revelation. But guess what? Revelation's in the future. Now, that means we're part of this story. We're part of the church, that we're on mission to share the gospel. And if you're a believer, you're part of that. So I want to see kids, <laughs> I want to see student ministries encouraging their students, hey, be on mission. Uh, be gospel-centered in how you're living such that you're developing friendships with other students, with adults even, as you are pointing them toward the beauty of the gospel. So what are you teaching? What are you driving toward? And the other thing is, think about your programming. As we talked about, there's nothing wrong with programming, but is your programming affirming gospel centrality? So look at your calendar, put it on the microscope. I would suggest that everything on your ministry calendar, you should be able to connect to the gospel in one way or another. And if you can't, that either means you need to rethink the win of that event or you need to kill it. Think about your budget. How are you spending your budget? Is it going toward gospel-centered endeavors or not? Same kind of concept. You guys know, you've been around. I can tell a lot about a church right now if you just give me its ministry calendar and its budget. Mm-hmm. I can tell you about mm-hmm. what, it, what it values. <laughs> I can give a good impression. And so we just want to make sure that our calendars, our budgets also reflect this gospel centrality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some great points. Now, um, to take it back to the home, you know, because we, we really like to talk about connecting that church and home. And I want to ask, how can parents be gospel centered at home? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a heart. Um, my heart is driven there. That's the reason why Cornerstones, that, that new resource, was was released to help equip parents uh, to teach the beauty of the gospel in their home. And as we know, this is critical, that Deuteronomy 6's model is that parents are the primary disciplers, and what we do in ministry mm-hmm. is designed to couple with that. It's to, it's to complement. It's, it's important. It's vital. As a dad, I need my kids' ministry pouring into my kids. I need my student ministry pouring into my kids as I'm trying to pour into them. So I would say it's a lot of similar discussion for the home. Um, I would draw on two points and just kind of bang them again for parents. One is, as parents especially, we need to show the beauty of the gospel in our lives. We, we know, we've heard this, that, that um, what, we, what we show our kids will stick with them a lot more than what we tell our kids. And so when our kids see us loving Christ, when they see us spending time in God's word because we want to, not, you know, they don't hear us, oh, oh man, I got to read the Bible again. I'm, I'm falling behind on my daily reading plan. Um, when they see us camping out in scripture, uh, when they see us confessing sin to them, mm-hmm. you know, as a dad, I blow it. I, I get short-tempered yeah. with my kids. It's something I need to do better on, confessing mm-hmm. to them. You know, guys, I, I was wrong. I sinned in getting upset with you. Will you forgive me? When they see that, that, that humility, when they see me loving Christ, when they see me worshiping Christ, when they see me filtering and talking, having this, these discussions, kids, you know, Dad is thinking about taking a new job, and and this is what Dad is thinking about. This is what he's praying about, and we bring into bear gospel-centered thinking in that. I want to have a job that that gives God glory the most, That's and awesome. here's what I'm processing. You know, we invite our kids into that, and they see the reality that we are, are 
practicing what we're preaching, so to speak, that matters greatly. And the other thing is, as parents, I think we really need to remember to get to the why, not just the what. We've mm-hmm. talked about this, but as as a dad, it's very tempting for me to say, kids, obey just because. And and there's a place for that. Um, you know, especially younger, your kid needs to mm-hmm. know, yell stop. Your kid needs to know he or she needs to stop immediately right. because you could be yelling stop because a car's coming. <laughs> you know, so that's not a time for unpacking the why of the stop command. So there is a place for obey just because, but my heart is that should not be the normal rhythm we're expressing to our kids. The normal rhythm should be, we should be letting them behind the curtain, so to speak, and say, here's why we do these things. Here's why we don't do these things, because we're trying to honor God here because of the goodness of what God has done for us, all the gospel center discussion that we've just had. I think as parents, we need to remember why, not just what. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that is especially such a temptation. You know, Ben and I both have preschool, some preschool age children. And, uh, you know, I think that's especially such a temptation in that age to to just do the do the what instead of the why. And and that is so important. You know, I even think of my own kids, you know, when I when I have to in the moment, you know, tell them don't run out in front of that truck because <laughs> you get like you said, you can't. And it's easy to let that carry over into, you know, a situation where we could have. But, you know, it's just. Just don't do that because daddy says don't do that. <laughs> you know? um, exactly. But that, that definitely we remember, to We're God. modeling God. Yeah. Exactly. For yeah, better absolutely. or worse, we are modeling God. Um, yeah. We know that studies show that people's understanding about God is framed so much by their relationship with their parents, especially their fathers. Mm-hmm. And so if we're always just, hey, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Well, what what are we putting on their minds about what God is like? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's just the concern that we need to be aware of. And thank God for his grace when we don't do that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, which we all cling to desperately. It's worse than abounded, grace abounded more. So, uh, well, Brian, how can people learn more about your ministry in general? Uh, and you get your, your hand in a, a number of different things and, you know, just connect with you. Yeah, so um, gospelproject.com is how people can find out more information about anything they, related to the Gospel Project, any of our three age groups, uh, preschooling kids, and adults, and we're starting that new cycle this fall, uh, so it's a great time. You can go see sample sessions there right now, and uh, there's there's a lot of, of helpful resources there. I think you can link to the podcast that I do with Aaron Armstrong, uh, Hero of the Story, where we talk about gospel centrality and scripture, so gospelproject.com. Um, Cornerstones2learntruth.com is the site for that new resource I, I, I just have out with, with B&H Publishing uh, to help parents uh, teach their kids uh, about Christ and about the gospel, cornerstones to learn truth. Um, and then my Twitter handle is at Brian Dembo, B-R-I-A-N-D-E-M-B-O, uh, because my last name is way too long and hard to spell. <laughs> That's kind of you. <laughs> so get a hold of me in one of those ways. All right. Very good. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you doing this for us. And uh, that, uh, you know, we think those who listened will be truly blessed. I, I think what you do is is hugely important. And I think it greatly impacts the church in so many ways. Yes, amen. Uh, just as, as kids get this frame of reference, as parents are helped to get this frame of reference, you know, who knows what the Lord will do uh, in a few decades as they become adults. And, you know, just pray that it ripples out. That's exciting. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. 
If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.